If you have your Bibles, please turn to Job chapter 2, and we'll be starting with verse 11. The book of Job is found in the wisdom section of the scriptures, especially in the Jewish Bible. Which means that there are things that we can learn from it and conduct our lives according to what is taught. As we've taken a look at the last few weeks, Job was the topic of two conversations between Satan and God about Job being blameless and upright, a man fearing evil and doing what is right before God's eyes. Job challenged him that integrity and said that if on the first occasion, if God took away his wealth and his other assets that, um, that he would curse God to his face. Well, Satan then after having permission from God lost his wealth, his business and his children And in the second conversation, Satan doubled down and said, well, he only praises you because of his health. And if you take away his health, he'll curse you to his face. And Satan then took his health. And unfortunately, I guess for Job's sake, he didn't take the wife because the wife told him in agreement with Satan Why don't you just curse God and die? But through all of this, Job did not sin. He worshiped God. He did not blame God for what had happened. And so now we come to verse 11 in chapter 2, which is going to expand the story. And it says, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, they came each from one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Nehemathite. And they made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. Now you need to remember, this isn't the day of cell phones where they text one another and said, hey, did you hear about Job? Why don't we get together and go on Tuesday at 10 o'clock to see him? There are different places, whatever. Now, I do know that there's an expression that says that a lie can go around the world before the truth gets on its shoes. But bad news seems to go almost as fast as a lie. And so the word is out that Job has been afflicted with these situations. And so his three friends who are in various parts of the community of the world are there. And they said, let's get together. So there must have been some kind of messenger set back and forth. When's good for you? When this is good for me. And so they're going to come all three together as opposed to them separately. And when they lifted up their eyes at a distance and did not recognize him, they raised their voices and wept. And each of them tore his robe and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky. Now, I want you to see something. They came to comfort Job, but their, if you will, their 
Grief comes by what this has done to their friend. They don't even recognize their friend. Now, in, in my situation, I, re, I recall many years ago, my mother was a part of this congregation, and there was a, uh, a denominational uh, magazine that wanted to talk about our multiple um, church ministries. And so they came and they took some photographs of our congregation and the church and different things. And because it was a magazine and, and whatever, it took about six months to be published and we got a copy. And in that picture in the congregation was a picture of my mother. Now, my mother at that time had been living with my family. So we kind of get used to the fact that because of her health issues, uh, that it's just day in and day after. But when I saw the photograph that was done six months earlier, my mother looked like she had, had aged five to 10 years. But you're used to seeing people day after day, so you don't see the impact. So when they come, they're, not expect, they're expecting for Job to be grieving, but they're now grieving his grief because he has been so affected by not only the loss of him and the loss of his family, but his health. It has changed his countenance. It has changed him. And so they are now in grief over how it has affected him. Verse 13, then they sat down on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights, with no one speaking a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. Now, this is the best thing his friends have done. Now, we're going to see later that they're going to provide counsel to him. Questionable counsel at best. But at this point, they simply sit there and grieve with him. They sit there and be silent. I can't tell you how wise that is. Now, as a pastor, I've received numerous calls from people whose family or friends have suffered some tragedy. It may be that a family member or friend has been stricken with some kind of health, uh, severe health, cancer or something like that. Or that um, in that case, that maybe a child or children or family were killed or severely injured in an accident. And, and people will call me and say, can you give me some Bible scripture to help? Now they're seeking my assistance and I want to, don't want to blow them off. So I try to find a scripture to be of assistance. But one thing I always tell them is it's not going to help. Because when the pain is so raw, even good counsel won't be listened to because the pain is so raw. Sometimes the absolute best thing you can do is just sit there, be there. If they need something, then do it. But even your wise counsel, question mark, wise counsel, will not necessarily be accepted because of the pain. You can say, well, God loves you, but well, if God loved me, how come this happened? And now you got, and they don't want to debate. They're hurting. And so one of the things that we should take from this is that sometimes it is the best thing that we can do is not say anything, just be there. I don't know how many times I've heard really stupid counsel. So counsel like, 
um, if they, they lost a child. Well, you have another one. Or you can get another one. Have you ever had children? They are unique. They are different. Having another one isn't going to give me another one just like the one I have. And so you just go, really? You think we're all just Barbie dolls and I can take one off the shelf and it's the same as, and so you go, are you thinking? Or, or they'll say, well, you can, you can, now you can empathize with people who have lost their children and you can start a ministry. I'm sorry, that's not a good enough reason. So, you know, everybody tries to make it sound better and it doesn't. Just be quiet. Now, the other thing is that sometimes what people do, and I think it's a good thing, but you need to know who it is. So, for instance, what we frequently do as a church, if somebody is in the hospital or ill or the family has passed away, we provide meals. That's a good thing. Don't do it for me. Why? Because my view of, of potluck is tough luck. I'll be honest with you. We'll go to a, a potluck, and let's say there are two hams. One of them Libby's made and one, and I'll go, which one did Libby make? And I'll ask Libby, which one's yours? And if I don't know, I don't eat either one. Honest truth. So bringing me food only means I'm going to say thank you very much, put it in the refrigerator, and then after you're gone, throw it away. Be silent. Just help me. If I say, you know, go to McDonald's, you say, well, I hate McDonald's. Well, that's what I ask you to do. Do that. So what I'm trying to tell you is you don't necessarily have to have the right counsel. Just be there. People will know that you love them, not because of what you say, but because you're there. And initially, that's what they do. And notice, they're there quiet for seven days and seven nights. Because Job's pain is immense. Chapter 3. Now Job will break the silence. Afterward, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was to be born and the night which said a boy is conceived. May that day be darkness. Let not God above care for it, nor light shine on it. Let the darkness and black gloom claim it. Let a cloud settle on it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. For as for that night, let darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the month. Basically, what he's saying is, I hope the day of my birth is February 30th. It never happens again. Behold, let the night be barren. Let no joyful shout enter it. Let those curse it who curse the day, who are prepared to rouse the viathan. Let the stars of the twilight be darkened. Let it wait for light, but have none. And let it not see the breaking dawn, because it did not shut the opening of my mother's womb or hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth, come forth from the womb and expire? Why did the knees receive me, and why the breasts that I should suck? For now I would have lain down and been quiet, 
and I would have slept then, and I would not, I would have been at rest with kings and with the counselors of the earth, who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold and who were filling their houses with silver, or like a miscarriage which is discarded, I would not be. As infants that never saw light, there the wicked cease from raising, raving, and there the weary are at rest. The prisoners are all at ease, and they do not hear the voice of the taskmaster. The small and the great are the same, and the slave is free from his master. Basically, there's a long statement of this pain that said, not that I wish I were dead, but I wish I were never born. I wish I were never born. Now, there are times when we hurt so much that we'll say, I wish God would just take me. That's not Job's request. He's going, how come I was ever conceived and born? If I would have never been born, I would have never known any of this pain and this heartache. It would have been better if that would have happened. And then he goes on and questions the reason for suffering. Why is life given to him who suffers and life to the bitter of the soul, who long for death, but there is none, and dig for it more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice greatly and exult when they find the grave? They can't wait to die. And why is light given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my groaning comes at the sight of my food and my cries pour out like water. He's basically saying the idea of even eating is repulsive. For what I fear comes upon me and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease nor am I quiet and I am not at rest, but turmoil comes. He says basically two things. I should have never been born. And why do we suffer? So he makes a statement and he questions. Now, Job is not alone in this. As a matter of fact, there is an old movie that kind of epitomizes this situation. Those of you who are probably under 40 have never seen this movie, unless maybe you were at home during the Christmas time. I don't know why they play it at Christmas, because it's not really a Christmas movie. It's called It's a Wonderful Life. And I'm going to tell you about this because some of you who are young probably never watched the black and white movie. Uh, some of the old movies are actually, even though I'm getting older, some of the old movies are better than the new ones. So, for instance, I think the old War of the Worlds is much better the new, new one, well, which is now semi-old. The, the latest one has better uh, special effects. So the story in the first one is much better. Anyway, so here's this story. There's kind of two versions. There's an edited version, and there's a longer version. The longer version talks about a young man who has a brother who saves his brother's life so that he doesn't drown. But this young man grows up in this town, and he can't wait to leave. He's got dreams and plans about his life, and he wants to leave. But every time he's about to leave, some obligation or responsibility or duty arises, and he stays, and he stays, and he stays. 
And his brothers whose life that he saved goes out and does many things and whatever. And as a matter of fact, uh, because of his heroism in World War II, saves over 100 men uh, from death. But there comes a day in this man's life who is played by Jimmy Stewart, who I love it when he plays an attorney because he comes across as being dumb, but he's always barter than anybody else in the room. Anyway, he plays this guy who's this uh, savings and loan owner. And because of some mistakes, they can't find the money. And so his life is upended and he's going to be arrested and placed on federal charges. And life is going to severely finish. You can finish the sentence. It's not going to be good. And so he's at this place where he wished he never lived. And he crashes off a bridge. And this angel named Clarence. Now, again, movies don't necessarily give you good theology. But I'm not watching the movie for the theology. I'll get my theology out of the scripture. Clarence does. He's, he's this wannabe angel who's waiting to do his wings. And he's got to do some good. And, and Jimmy Stewart wants to die, but he wished he were never born. Kind of like Job. But Clarence, the wannabe angel, shows him what life would have been like if he were never born. So he first shows him that if he were not born, he would have not saved his brother from drowning, and his brother would have died. And if his brother would have died, the 100-plus men that he saved would have all died, which meant all of those families would have been in grief because he wasn't there to save them. Then he shows them what the town would have been like if he wasn't alive, and that it was miserable and terrible, and everybody was gloomy and depressed because the town was gloomy and depressed. And the woman that he married, that he loved beyond all measure, was an old maid and, and not happy, and, and life was just not good for her. And the angel tried to get him to understand that his life had value, that even though he was in pain, it still was a wonderful life. Job, in the same way, I understand he has great pain, and we all feel and can empathize with him. But yes, he lost his children. But notice the children, how happy and how, how they banded together and how they worshiped together and how they ate together. And notice even Job doesn't say, well, my kids were a bunch of sinners. He goes, Maybe they messed up unintentionally, so I will sacrifice for them. So even in their intentional conduct, they seem to be wonderful people. They would have never been born if Job wasn't. So the question is not why was I born, because God determined for you to be born. And God had a destiny for you, not just a purpose, a destiny for you. And yes, life hurts. And yes, there are times when we all can agree 
that I just want to go home. But pain should never determine where we are with God. And so Job has this depression, if you will. I shouldn't have been born. I don't understand why I suffer. I can guarantee you, if you've not suffered some kind of tragedy up till now, you will. You can either be depressed and say, why? Or it can drive you to God. It can drive you away from God, or it can drive you to God. We need to be prepared when heartache and tragedy come, that it drives us to God, not away from God. And that's the reason I'm doing this book of Job, is to prepare us, because it's not a matter of if suffering will come, but when. Because even if you are the one exception and you never suffer a single thing and you have perfect health all the days of your life and you lay down in bed one night and you peacefully go to be with the Lord and everything is wonderful, you're going to know people either in your family or in your church or at your work who are going to suffer and are going to complain and going to wonder why. And you gently understand that we go to God, not from him. But in case you think you and Job are unique, I want you to go to Jeremiah chapter 20. Now in the bulletin, it says verses 20 through 18, uh, verse 7 through 18. I'm going to move up a little bit and I'm going to go verse 14. Basically what Jeremiah says is, God, you call me to be a prophet. And I kind of feel deceived, God, because they're not accepting the word of God and they are persecuting me and they are bringing pain upon my life and they all mock me. But I would love to shut up. But when I shut up, I can't stop from saying your word. So I'm stuck, God, because when I speak your word, I get persecuted for it. But if I don't speak your word, I can't contain it. And in verse 14, he says, cursed be the day when I was born. Sound familiar? Let the day not be blessed when my mother bore me. Cursed be the man who brought the news of my father saying, a baby baby boy has been born to you and made him very happy. Curse that day. I don't care if my dad was happy. I was born. I don't care my mother gave me birth, gave me life, which then took away any uh, thing from her as to being barren. But let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew without relenting. And let him hear an outcry in the morning and a shout of alarm at noon, because he did not kill me before birth, so that my mother would have been my grave and her womb ever pregnant. Why did I ever come forth from the womb to look on trouble and sorrow so that my days have been spent 
in shame. It is not unusual at times when a great difficulty and tragedy that we get depressed and say, why me? Why was I ever born? Why am I still here? And I know there's a lot of seniors, especially in, in uh, various states of hospital or, or other places, convalescent homes, or even at home who say, why has the Lord not taken me yet? It is common. Now, one of the bad advices that people give oftentimes is, I know how you feel. No, you don't. You may have experienced a very similar thing as me, but you don't have my history and I don't have yours. I have a particular feeling and you have a particular feeling. So you don't know how I feel. So don't tell people, I know how you feel. Just say, it must be terrible. You need to talk and let them talk. They're letting, at this point, letting Job talk. They're letting Job get it out. But I want you to know, even in Job's depression and his why me, and I should have been, he doesn't blame God. He just says, how come? So when we are suffering, when we are hurting, understand. That maybe immediately all the neat Bible verses don't readily come into play. Or all the little things that people say, well, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And you go, wait a minute, my life has just fallen apart. What do you mean a wonderful plan? But as we let them be, and as we let them share, Instead of giving, and as we're going to see in the weeks to come, they're going to give him bad counsel. Don't be that person. Be the person who's simply there, who loves. And if they say something and they want to know something, then offer it. Or be like those who have called me and say, you know, pastor, uh, so-and-so is asking a question. I don't know. What verses can you give me to share? I'm happy to, to give that because now we're at a point when they want to hear and they can accept. But when they are in raw pain, they're in raw pain. And it's not unique to them. I'm not going to read it, but in Psalm 109, the psalmist there has gone through pain and heartache. And his response is, God Take my enemies and wipe them out. Don't bless them, but bless me. Now, I want you to notice something. He says, God, take them out. He didn't say, let me be vengeance on them, God. He goes, for those who are my enemies, God, you deal with. But bless me. Now, I do not know my wife's spirit in the sense of I'm not her. But I have less 
questions about her faith because what she's gone through and how she hurts and yet still relies on God. She doesn't, I've never heard her blame God. Maybe sometimes we experience tragedies in our life to let us know exactly whose we are. Do you run away from God because you didn't get your way? Or do you run to him even in the tears and the heartache and the pain that you don't understand? Now, we have an advantage over Job because we understand that God has permitted this and he was not a sinner. As a matter of fact, God several times has said he's blessed. He is a righteous man. He does good. He seeks not to do evil but to worship him. And we've seen Job do these things. And not only do we see these things, but the angels in heaven saw this. And generation after generation after generation who has read this book sees that even when there is unspeakable tragedy, you can trust God. Even in unspeakable tragedy, rather than even when you're depressing, why, God, was I ever born? That there will come a time when God says, because I'm confident in our relationship. And I want you and the world and heaven to know that you and me are like this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Not heartache, not stress, not famine, not peril, not nakedness, not nothing, never know how separates us from God. And even in his heartache and his pain, he doesn't say, well, God doesn't love me. This is, I just don't understand. Maybe it would have been better if I wasn't here. And the next time you think like Job and like Jeremiah, maybe, just maybe it would have been better if I weren't here. Just remember, and maybe you buy an old movie called It's a Wonderful Life. Because I bet even the people you don't know that you've had an impact on. You've had an impact. We will talk about teachers and how teachers will have an impact on our lives to want to study and to be better and to do things or to go into career paths that we never considered. Maybe, just maybe, that Sunday school lesson that you taught or that word of encouragement that you gave allowed people to take just one more step in their journey so that they don't give up. Maybe it's not about you and me. Maybe it's about him and his people. So I want to close by saying this as we get ready to sing morning by morning. 
The point is, I'm not asking you today to say for the rest of my life, I'm going to follow God. I'm going to say for tomorrow, I'm going to follow God. And the day after that, I'm going to follow God. And the day after that, I'm going to follow God. And the day after that, I'm going to follow God. And the day after that, I'm going to follow God. And even when I don't understand where he's taking me, and there's a lot of times we don't understand one bit where he's taking us, after we're there, we go, oh, I get it. So why were we kicking while we were going? Or sometimes we go, Lord, I don't understand why this tragedy fell on me. I'm hurting. I'm desperate. But I'll still trust you. As I shared at the beginning of this series, do not take from, away from God what you don't know about him or what you do know. If we do know that God loves you, then don't think when something happens that he doesn't. Because now you're taking away something we know about God when we don't know. Maybe there was a conversation in heaven about you. Or maybe just bad things happen to good people. But I'm going to trust you in the circumstance. And I'm going to trust you when I can't see. I'm going to trust you when I don't understand. I'm just going to trust you. And all God's people said,